Have you ever felt like an underdog? Felt like giving up? Felt beat up, fed up, and beat down? Felt like you're always screwing up and letting people down, so you start just to lower your standards because, well, what's the point? If this is what they think of me, then this is who I will be. Why try to strive for more? Then just about the time you're about to give up, someone comes along and says what your starving soul needs to hear. They see you. They see what you can become, and it is grander than you even think possible, yet you want it to be true, so you just dust yourself off and get back after it. Have you ever been in a spot, maybe, where you think you have made a huge mistake and just when you're about to count your loss and leave, someone reminds you of why you started in the first place and you dig in deeper. They remind you of what you are a part of and that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Well, maybe you haven't felt that way or you've never had that type of regret or, or doubts. And if not, let me encourage you with this news. Your day will come. I know that's not very encouraging, but you need to get in the frame of mind and be prepared for when that day comes because it comes to us all. Timothy. We're in First Timothy, uh, and we're going to finish up chapter 1 today. But in, Timothy is in that kind of mindset, I feel like, and in that spot right now. He, he is in Ephesus, and the culture is hard enough to fight against, but now people in the church are rising up who have left the gospel and are teaching heresy. And they're, they're, they're bringing others along with them. And they're not just the common church goer either. They are the leaders of the church. The very people that should have Timothy's back. And they, instead, they're stabbing him in the back. He must have felt, what's the point? He must have gone through that discouragement and despair, wondering, what am I doing? What should I do? And then you start hearing maybe everybody else is right and I'm wrong. Am I, and, and, am I the one that's crazy? Paul, his spiritual father, mentor, veteran warrior of the faith, who has invested so much in Timothy, knows what's going on. He's been through it before, and he's, he knows Timothy is able to handle this. That's why he sent him there, and he's encouraging him. He's pouring that courage in, and he, he comes back. Our, we're going to pick up in verse 18. But it goes back to the standing orders in verse 3, all right? He's kind of gone on this little tangent of, of what the, the false teaching was, and he looks at the gospel and reminds us of the, the majesty of it and how sufficient it is to change all of us, even the worst of the worst, as Paul said. And, and so he's reminding Timothy uh, in verse 18, he's reminding him of his standing orders to stop those teachings that are t those that are teaching contrary to the truth. And so, verse 18, Timothy, my son. I mean, do you hear that, the, the connection that's there, that, that, that deep intimacy that he had with Timothy, is that he's speaking to him as the spiritual father. He's like, Timothy, you're my son. Here are my instructions for you. All right, going back to verse 3. Uh, but it's, then he reminds him of stuff in the past. He says, based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. There's a few important things here is that Paul is reminding Timothy of his calling. Now, sometimes when 
as Christians, we all have this calling. We are all called to be ministers and missionaries wherever we are placed. But for some, they take that extra step and say, you know what, I'm going to go in full-time ministry. And when I did that, uh, I had the elders of my church and, and my dad, who was the minister there, they all prayed over me and they laid their hands on me. And, and, and I was being set apart to do ministry. And yes, I've done a lot of other jobs along the way, but ministry has always been the forefront and focus. So wherever I've been, it's like, okay, this is my ministry. This is my mission field. What do I need to do here? And now coming here. So Paul is reminding Timothy of his calling, and he's reminding him of the fight he chose to join. And here's the thing. Fight implies a struggle. So don't don't expect ease. We shouldn't be like shocked, like hard things are happening. It's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening. No, you should be expecting it because we're in a fight. There is a battle taking place in this world and in the unseen world that affects this world. It's a constant battle. It's a battle in our own minds at times. There is a battle waging, and we got to remember God's truth. We also have to remember what it says here. May it help you fight well in the Lord's battle. We need to remember that this battle belongs to the Lord, and He is victorious. We just simply have to stick it out and be obedient to Him through all things. I also want to just say this based on the prophetic word spoken about you earlier. You know, a lot of times we end up speaking false prophecies to ourselves and to others, and others put false prophecies on us, like, well, you just wait. When they come, teenagers, then they're going to rebel against you, and all. it's just it's wild, anarchy type thing. Don't put that false prophecy on my kids. Like, this is, no, it does not have to be that way, all right? Just because the rest of the culture has accepted it and moves on type thing, it doesn't mean it has to be that way. Uh, we, so whatever, when somebody puts something on you, you need to have that discernment to decide, all right, is this true? Is this based in God's truth? And if it is, then I'll accept it. But if not, then I'm going to cast it off. So just because a false prophecy is put on you doesn't mean that's what you have to uh, live up to. You need to accept God's truth and not the lies. And Paul's calling Timothy to battle for his own heart. That's what we're doing, battle for heart. He's calling him battle for his own heart. Stand bold. God called you. We all confirmed it. Now do it. All right? It's don't be wondering if God made a mistake. No, we confirmed it. We all saw what God was doing in your life. This is where you're supposed to be. When you accept the call, you accept the good, the bad, and the ugly. You no longer call the shots, so you have to stay until God says, go. This is also reminds him that God is with him. All right, verse 19. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciousness. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. All right? So he's reminding him to clean, like the white knuckle. All right? Do not let go of this faith that you have in Christ because he is everything. And he says to keep your conscience clear. All right? To, to do things. No, don't. They're going to take those cheap shots. Don't go down to their level. You maintain the highest standard. You remember who you are. You cling to faith in Christ, and you honor him. You remember who it is that you represent, and you don't go down to their level. And he, the, then he says that the others, they have violated their conscience. And it's almost like this idea of taking tape, you know, and you keep sticking it, and eventually 
you stick it, stick it and peel it off, stick it and peel it off. And eventually what happens is you lose that stickiness, right? And that's exactly what is ha he's saying, is that they violated their conscience. They deliberately knew what they were doing was wrong and kept going forward. And they just kept going forward to the point where their conscience was absolutely dulled. That's why if God is speaking to you and you feel that little nag of saying, hey, th there's a better way of doing this and this is the way to take, you need to listen to it. Because the more you go down that other road, then it's going to lead to a point where you're, you can shipwreck your faith. Now listen, I want to make sure that we recognize here that they didn't shipwreck the faith. They shipwrecked their faith. Right? Just because they went off this way doesn't mean that the, the, it's not true. Okay? The faith still stands. It's, it was their choice that led them to there. And then verse 20, he calls them out. He calls out two of them. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. Whoa, do you hear that? There's the sirens. That's the tone police pulling Paul over saying, hey, Paul, hey, buddy. Uh, you know what? You, you had us, but uh, that's a little harsh language there. I mean, you're, you're, you said that you threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to bless me. I mean, I mean, come on. Let's let's back it off a little bit. Let's. That's not very loving or nice, and 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 we need to be more tolerant. No. What's not loving is allowing someone to go to hell and not try to save them. What's not loving is letting that someone disgrace God to distort the gospel and the truth of scripture. Tell police might go, oh, well, you know what, you might hurt their feelings. You know what? What a what about God? What about his feelings? In a world of victimhood and about what about the ultimate victim, God? We brutally killed him. We brutally nailed him to a cross, whipped him and beat him. What about him? It's time to start caring more about God than hurt feelings. His truth hurts, but it's only the only way to correct a real problem. All right, if, I, if I go into the doctor, I want them to tell me the truth. I, if they might give me a false diagnosis, no, you're good, you're totally fine. And, and they make me feel really good about myself, and then I'm dead before I hit the car in the parking lot because they didn't want to tell me that I had cancer. All right? I, I know that's an extreme example, but you get what I'm saying, is that the false diagnosis might make you feel better, but in the end, you, you're going to be dead. So... I would rather be told the truth and have the hurt feelings for a short while and then live than to die deceived. I would rather have that opportunity, right, to speak the truth, to be clear in the diagnosis that the problem is sin. That's the problem. And you have sin in you, and this is where it is, and you need to turn to Christ and allow him to, to make you clean once again. This whole idea of being cast out, it's this whole idea of church discipline, and it's a real thing, and I wonder if things would be different if we would actually practice it more like we should. It shows how far we have fallen from fearing God of who he really is and, uh, and fearing him as we should. It's, it's not just here in 1 Timothy. You can look at Matthew 18, 15 through 17, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 through 15. All designed to bring the person to confession and repentance. That's the whole point of all discipline is for love. It's for the betterment of that person. It's to get them to change their lifestyle and thinking. And so the whole idea here is, listen, 
you've had your chance, and now you're not listening, you're not obeying, you're not repenting, you're not turning around, so you can't be part of the church anymore. And so now you're back into Satan's realm, and hopefully by being back out there, out there and outside of God's protection, that you might repent. All right, guys, I want to make a kind of a transition here, and it might seem like I'm dropping it down from fourth gear down to first gear to reverse, but bear with me, all right? Because as I've been kind of was stewing on this passage and thinking about Paul investing in Timothy, he's a younger guy, uh, and he's facing hardship. Uh, when I started thinking about that and remembering he was young, I started thinking of the youth in our churches and how churches oftentimes will hold the youth off to the side, right? And, and then they wonder when all of a sudden they look to see where the youth are at, they're gone. Well, they've been pushed off to the side saying that there was nothing that they could do for the kingdom right here and now. And we need to start this understanding. It starts with you guys, as you guys grow and you go into churches, that you develop this mindset that the young are like the strength and the older is the wisdom. And we need both in the church. We need the strength and wisdom. But I also want to encourage you guys that while you're at this age, all right, 15, 16, that, you know, the you can still do something right now. The battle is raging. And I think one I, in all this, I thought of one of the most iconic battles, David and Goliath. And so I want to end in this manner. As Paul, you know, encouraged Timothy to fight the good fight, to, to fight well, to not back down, I, I think of you guys, and I think of David and Goliath, and I'll explain why here in a minute. But if you looked at 1 Samuel 17, I'm just going to real quickly go through this as we close, is that uh, the Philistines were at war with Israel, all right? And so they, you had the Philistines on one side of the hillside and then in the valley, and then on the other side was Israel. And, the, and it says here that the Philistines sent out their champion, all right, to taunt them. Verse 4, Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. So he's standing in the middle of the valley. And, he's, and here's his description. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of the, his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him and carrying a shield. So here's this huge guy, right? I mean, giant, literally. And he wore all of this armor, and he had the best of the best. He has all the technology, because as we read earlier, Israel, they had no iron. They had no weapons. So Goliath stood there, and here's what he said. He shouted and taunted across the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then, he will be our, your slave, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send a man who will fight me. When Saul and Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So here's this guy that is defying not only Israel, but the God that Israel represents. Now, this is what's taking place, and we read then about David. All right, David was the son of a man named Jesse, uh, and Jesse had eight boys. 
All right, and the three oldest ones were at the war. They were with Saul's army at the front line, and David, the youngest, uh, he was stayed back, and he was taking care of the flock of sheep that they had, and his dad would send him back and forth to check on his brothers. And one day, it says, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain, these ten loaves of bread, and carry them quickly to your brothers, and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain, and see how your brothers are getting along, and bring back a report on how things are going. So his dad sends him to the front lines. He's doing this constantly. Like, it's not his first rodeo, but he sends him this one day, and David is there that one day, and he happens to hear Goliath taunting. And he's just heard him. And he's just like, is no one going to do anything about this? Like, what in the world is going on? He asked everybody, why isn't anybody going out there and doing anything about this? And his brothers try to shut him up and tell him to go away. And he's like, well, if you guys are too coward to do it, I'll do it. Like, I'll go fight this guy. He can't sit out there and taunt my God like this. So they eventually, uh, they word gets to Saul. And so he br- they bring him in and they look at him. They're like, you're going to fight, you know, this giant? And David gives his resume. He's like, you know what? I protect my father's sheep, and I've killed bears and lions with, my, uh, with God's help. And God can help me take care of this Neanderthal. Like, this is nothing. Yes, I can take care of him. So Saul's like, well, if you're going to go, at least take my armor and everything. And he's like, this is too much. I don't need this. I don't need anything but God. He goes out, and he gets his, the iconic scene, right? He gets the stones, and he goes out to take care of them. So he gets it, and it says he's heading out, and Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this rudy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you came to me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will cut off, kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Lord's battle, just like Paul had said. So they moved closer to attack, and David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sank in. The Goliath stumbled and fell face down the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. And this is where most ministers will leave it off, but I'm not most ministers. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's huge sword from his sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. He's a man of his word. He said he was going to do it, and he did it. And I think of this, and I want you to realize this. David, we think of him, and we're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's pretty cool. You need to realize that David was most likely 16 and 19 years old when this happened. How was a 16-year-old ready to fight? It was not from playing Call of Duty. It was because his dad taught him how to fight from a young age. And that's what we're doing here. That's why I push you. And that's why I'm going to challenge you. Where others were going to coddle you and say, oh, you need to, you know, just memorize or whatever. No, you need to know this. You need to, it needs to be part of you. And woe to the church for not training its children for the battle that is being waged and then sending them off as sheep to the slaughter. 
You all need to hold your head high. I push you because I know you are capable of more. I push you because I know the battle being waged outside this property. You have the strength and vigor, and I'm simply trying to give some wisdom on how to use it to the glory of God. Teddy Roosevelt, great quote. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of the deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Stand your ground in God's power. Christians don't retreat, they go. Fight the good fight and do it well. Set others free. Fight for God's honor and bring glory to his name.